Hey, what's up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt. Finally back in the podcast studio. I'm not sure if I even know what day it is. Um, it's September 9th. Holy crap, it's September 9th, 2020. How, um, how you guys doing out there? It's been about, uh, I think, three weeks since I've recorded a podcast. It's been a minute. Um, having a seven-month-old and it's hard work. And it's difficult to get in the podcast studio. It is, it's a learning experience having a kid. And I, I understand why my parents smoke so many cigarettes. <laughs> it's just, it's rough, man. And I only have one kid. You know, there are people out there with like three kids. I don't know how they do it. But she's such a sweetheart, dude. Like, I love hanging out with my daughter. So it's hard to get in here and record a podcast. And after she goes to bed, like, I'm just thoroughly exhausted. You know, I'll be 37 in October, and I do not have the energy that I did when I was 27 years old. It's rough, you know. Uh, it, it could be because I just ate a whole box of Count Chocula. That's got a lot. It's not a healthy meal. <laughs> I did, dude. Listen, man, every Halloween season, when listen, I don't do a lot of, like, the pumpkin stuff. Like, I'm not going to go buy, like, pumpkin-flavored frosted mini-wheats. Like, that doesn't sound good to me. But when it comes to Halloween sweet treats, I'm all on board with it. Like, I'm not kidding when I said I ate a whole box of Count Chocula at like 5 o'clock. My wife and I went to the store before we picked up our daughter from her grandma's. And we grabbed a box of Count Chocula, each of us grabbed our own box. Because she likes it, but she knows that I eat it all in one sitting, right? I, You know when you open a, cere- a box of cereal? And you open like the plastic bag on the inside and you rip it and you get pissed because you're like, oh, damn, the cereal is going to get stale. To me, I don't give a shit because I know when I open the Count Chocula, I'm eating it all in about two and a half bowls. I just get a big bowl, whole milk because I'm a man, and I eat all the Count Chocula and it's the best cereal in the world. I also bought a the Halloween Oreo cookies that are orange in the middle. Damn, man, I love those things. Those fuckers are so tasty. And it I won't eat a full pack of those in a day, but I'll eat a couple days and I've got those suckers knocked out, right? They're delicious. They're really sugary. And all I'm getting at is like my diet's probably not conducive to having energy, <laughs> I guess, but I don't really care, man. Like I like a sweet treat. Like, treat yourself. Is that a problem here? I don't really know. But I'm adjusting to having a, what's now, I believe, a daughter that's a toddler. She's no longer considered an infant, you know? And you can tell by looking at her poops when you change her diaper. It's so scary. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. She'll give me a run for my money, man. Um, yeah, but I so I say that, and I'm like, yeah, I definitely know why my parents smoke so many cigarettes. And now I understand why when I asked my mom for a drink of her water, that she wouldn't let me have a drink of her water because there was probably vodka that she was drinking. Kids, man, holy cow, dude. But we are, um, dude, I'm happy to be back, man. This is good stuff. I, dude, I'll be honest with you. I have not, I have not had a chance to watch a lot of baseball. I've been watching some old baseball games. I haven't watched a lot of uh, new baseball games, but, and what's funny is since I've been watching so many old baseball games, I've, (laughs) I can only make this work during quarantine, but I have a mustache now. Now I've got like a trimmed beard, but I've got a full mustache, like a 
full mustache and I'm loving it. Like I got a mustache comb and I comb it everywhere I go to flaunt it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like when my wife comes around, like I'll comb my mustache and be like, what up? You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It loves the mustache, dude. <laughs> she hates it. <laughs> dude, but, like having a mustache is just, it's a completely different feeling. Having a mustache is similar to like getting a face tattoo. You know what I'm saying? Like when you have a good mustache, which I feel like I have, it's thick. I can comb it over my lip and it's full, right? It's it's up there with a Tom Selleck, Phil Garner mustache, right? Like it gets all kinds of food stuck in it. And honestly, so much food gets stuck in my mustache when I get the food out of it. I eat it because it's a sizable portion and I'm not about to let that food go to waste. It's really good stuff. But like having the mustache, like I feel like a a real man. I feel like Al Roboski. I feel like I could fix anything with a mustache. I feel like I could rebuild a carburetor on a 350 Chevy engine out of a 72 C10. I, I know I could do it, right? Like now... Like, I carry a pocket knife with me everywhere I go because I have a mustache now. And I feel, I got a Gerber. I got it right here. Listen. Listen to that. Hold on. That's me shutting it and me opening the pocket knife. I got a Gerber pocket knife. And that's solely because I have a mustache. Because what if I need to slice open a can of Vienna sausages? You know what I'm saying? I got a pocket knife for it. What if... I mean, I, I don't know what else I would use a pocket knife for, but um, that's really the only material I had was Vienna sausages. I, they're sort of good. <laughs> um, but, like, dude, it's so good. Like, I just, like, and, you know, back to the – can I tell you guys something right now? I've been watching so much old baseball. I've, I have this nostalgic feeling towards cigarettes because old baseball players would smoke them in the dugout. My old man always smoked cigarettes. He would take me to Little League Baseball practice in a Chevy S10. He'd always be smoking Marlboros, and the ashtray in the truck was always just full of ashes. And now that like I have this mustache, like I feel like I owe it to myself to like go out and buy a pack of Camel cigarettes and roll them up in my sleeve. You know, and then that way, if I need to smoke, I just unroll my sleeve and I can just, you know, light it, light a smoke. You know what I mean? With my mustache. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, it's just like other things you could do with a mustache. Like now every night, like in the evening at like seven or eight when dusk hits, I go outside in my underwear because I feel like I can just do that because I have a mustache and I'll like go outside and water the flowers <laughs> because like I don't have anything to fix like I don't have a big block Chevy engine but my wife's flowers need watered so that's sort of what I do so it's sort of manly but it's sort of like bro like you can't like I'm just waiting for someone to call the cops like I love to pee in the yard honestly I peed in the yard before I had a mustache but now that I have a mustache I pee in the yard and I don't wash my hands after and I don't wash my fruits or vegetables either. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to eat fruits or vegetables anymore because I got a mustache and I'm just going to eat like steaks and burgers and I'm going to like eat them raw. You know what I mean? Just drink Miller High Life and eat raw steaks. I just, just the mustache, bro. It's just a good, it's a good feeling. You know, I look like a chainsaw needs to be in my hand. I think I'm going to buy a chainsaw BT. You know, by the way, like 
I think I need a chainsaw. I think I want to buy a chainsaw. And I just have to like, I think every, right? I'm a dad now. Don't you think like every dad and every husband probably needs a truck and a chainsaw? Like, I think that, I think I need one. I think maybe I could buy one tomorrow. A chainsaw. Like my wife wouldn't know. I'll just put it on a credit card. You know what I'm saying? I'll write a check for it. Like she's not going to know. And I think I a still chainsaw. I think that would be great. Awesome. We, oh, God. If I keep going, we're not going to talk about anything. It's, dude, it's the box account chocolate. Man, I'm feeling it right now. Okay, let's, um, gosh, I guess let's get to some baseball talk. Lou Brock, he passed away a couple days ago. 81 years young. Rest in peace, Lou Brock. Talking baseball legend, St. Louis Cardinals legend. So legendary human being, right? His the year he stole 118 bases, he was 35 years old. And I don't know if he ever had a mustache, but um, he played baseball like he had a mustache. He played baseball like a gritty son of a bitch, right? Do you know only eight guys since 1900 have stolen 100 or more bases in a season? And he actually, Lou Brock, only stole over 100 bases once. And that was the 118 when he was 35. Now, Lou Brock is a very interesting guy. You know, I didn't know a whole lot about Lou Brock, right? Like, I'm from the Midwest. Like, so where I'm from is only a couple hours from St. Louis. But, like, you know, I wasn't born till 83. Right? Like, I don't know a lot about Lou Brock. And, like, my dad and my grandpa, they were Cubs fans. So I know I'm familiar with a lot of, really familiar with a lot of older Cubs players, but not so much a lot of Cardinals players. But it was interesting when... I dug up on, you know, some research on Lou Brock. It was like Lou Brock was a power hitter at one point. And I think a lot of that changed because when he got to Major League Baseball, he uh, had the speed, you know. He was um so stupid. He the Cubs traded him. Cubs are so dumb. And I'm a Cubs fan, so I can say that, but they're idiots. <laughs> like they're so dumb. The Cubs traded Lou Brock to the St. Louis Cardinals for a pitcher named Ernie. Okay, now listen, Ernie had won like 18 and 20 games like a couple times or whatever. And the second the Cubs got Ernie, Ernie Bro- Broglio. We're just going to call him Ernie because what the fuck? <laughs> he he so the Cubs get Ernie and Ernie proceeds to go 7 and 19 with a 5.40 ERA over two seasons and then he retired, right? In the Cardinals they got a damn Hall of Famer. Like, dude, being a Cubs fan in Southern Illinois, there are so many Cardinals fans. You can't win because you're rooting for a bunch of losers. <laughs> and it's just like, damn, man, it sucks. And so I think it, I don't have these numbers in front of me, but I think it was in 64. And I could totally be wrong, right? This isn't like Buster Olney's podcast, right? I don't have exact numbers, but I believe it was in 64. The Cardinals, or excuse me, the Cubs needed a pitcher. And they were like, we'll trade Lou Brock, which was the dumbest thing ever. Because Lou Brock was like, had shown signs of just greatness in minor in the, in the Cubs minor league system. This guy was in the minor leagues in, in spring training one year for the Cubs. He hit, oh, no. Yeah, spring training for the Cubs, I believe it was one year. He was hitting 480-foot home runs in spring training. And they were like, what the hell? But the Cubs didn't develop him well. This guy was so fast, but the Cubs wouldn't wouldn't even let him steal until they gave him the sign. Like, they just 
didn't use him. They, I guess they just didn't realize he was as good as he was. But the the Cardinals, the Cardinals knew how good Lou Brock was because every time the Cubs would play the Cardinals, Lou Brock would fucking torch the Cardinals. So the Cardinals had a GM named Bing Divine. Such an awesome name, dude, Bing Divine. And then Gussie Bush, he was the man. He wore this big old red cowboy hat. And he's just drinking beer all the time, dude. It'll make him like they used to. Yeah, Gussie Bush. August Bush, I think. He was like the third or the fourth. But I think his name was Gussie Bush. That's what he went by. And he was with this big-ass red cowboy hat with a Cardinals emblem on it. Dude, one of the most legendary baseball owners in the history of the game. But either way, so his GM, whose name was Bing, he was like, I'll trade Ernie for Lou because Ernie's probably getting old. And when the Cubs got Ernie for Lou, Ernie was like, my arm hurts. It does not feel good at all. And the Cubs still traded for him. And then the Cardinals are over here like, bro, Lou Brock torches us every time we play you guys. So, yeah, we'll take him and you can have Ernie because his arm hurts anyway. So, whatever. And the Cubs were just like, okay, I'll do it. But Lou Brock was... But the power aspect I found interesting with Lou Brock. Now, a lot of that power, some of that power, you would see flashes of a Major League Baseball because a lot of the home runs he hit were bombs. He, I think, I think it was in the regular season. Lou Brock one time hit a ball to dead center field in the polo grounds out of the damn park, right? Lou Brock did that. Do you know that only three other guys besides Lou Brock did that? Joe Adcock. Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron, those are your guys that hit a baseball that hard and that far in the polo grounds. Power, power Lou Brock had, but the speed was nuts. So, like I said, when Lou was with the Cubs, the Cubs wouldn't let him steal unless they gave him the sign. But the second Lou gets to St. Louis, the Cardinals are like, you could run whenever the hell you want. Like, if you think you can make it to the next base... Just go ahead and go. We're not going to give you the sign. And damn sure he did it, man. And the second Lou got to the St. Louis Cardinals in in 64, the Cardinals won the World Series in 64, and he was a big part of it. Lou Brock was a clutch postseason hitter. And even that first season in 64 when he went to the Cardinals, because you got to realize when Lou was with the Cubs, he wasn't a starting player. He was at best a fourth outfielder, right? So... He goes to St. Louis, and he's starting, and he makes a huge impact, bats well over 300 in the postseason. They win the World Series, and I want to say even he had a couple key hits in the World Series, which is completely nuts, but there's a really fun story how Lou Brock actually came to baseball, and it's like, like it's so awesome to see. I feel like we never see this with new baseball players, but there are a lot of older baseball players that just sort of came to baseball by accident. Like, for example, Marquise Grissom threw a baseball at a cop car one time, and the cop, <laughs> it wasn't really a cop car, but so Marquise Grissom threw a baseball or threw a rock at a car, and the guy was a cop, but he wasn't on duty, so he was driving his personal car. So he, Marquise Grissom throws this rock at a car so fucking far, the guy in the car turns back around. Now, Marquise and his friends are shocked. They're like nine years old, so they're just standing in the street, and they didn't run. They were too afraid, and Marquise even said, he was like, I'm surprised I threw it that far because I thought I would show off for my buddies, so I waited for the car to go really far off, and then I threw the rock, and I didn't think it would go that far, and I hit the fucking car, right? So the cop the cop comes back. It's like, who threw the rock at my car? 
And Marquise is like, I did. And the guy's like, dude, I won't tell your parents if you come play on my Little League baseball team. And that happened. That dead ass happened. That's verified, right? And something like that happened with Lou Brock. So Lou Brock is like nine years old, right? And I guess during PE, he was throwing spitballs. <laughs> and he got in he got in trouble, right? And so I guess because it was like they were playing baseball and he was spitting on the baseball and throwing it, his punishment was to go to the library and research baseball players. They told him to research um, Don Newcomb, Joe DiMaggio, Stan Musial, and Jackie Robinson. So that was his punishment was to go to the library and research these guys, right? And when you're a kid, like nine years old, you don't want to open up Encyclopedia Britannica and write. Like you don't want to, but he was real intrigued by it, right? Because Lou Brock was like, one of nine kids, right? And his family was really poor. So when he's doing the research, he sees how much these players make and he can't even count that high. He's never seen numbers with this many zeros on it. So the legend says he went to his teacher and was like, what are these numbers? And so the teacher was like, that's how much they make a year. And he's like, well, I want to play baseball then because my family's poor and I don't want to live like this, right? But as it turns out, he didn't actually start playing baseball until like his freshman year of high school. Like, I guess it just didn't happen. I don't know if it was like a barrier to entry or if he was doing other stuff or he just didn't do it. I'm not too sure. But I think it came down to he tried out for the team his freshman year of high school and he oh, his coach said he only made the team because he could throw the ball farther than everyone else. Like, he was like Uncle Rico and – the coach was like, oh, shit, like, he can throw a baseball really far. Like, I got to have this guy on my team. So freshman year, he plays. But if I remember correctly, like, he doesn't do that good. Like, it's just not really it. But this guy had never played organized baseball before. So he, I think he batted, like, 200 or something like that, right? But a sophomore year, dude, he's cranking out home runs, bats well over 500, and that's it. So he has a good high school career. But when he's out of high school – he gets no athletic scholarship. It's not offered, but he did get an academic scholarship to Southern University. And I'm not too sure where that's at, but that's where he got a scholarship to, right? And he his first or second semester in college, his grades were dropping, right? He just he couldn't keep up with the curriculum. And he was about to lose his academic scholarship, but he wanted to go to college but he couldn't afford to go to college. So he, his freshman year of college, he, he went to try out for the baseball team because he needed to go to school, right? And so he goes to the tryouts for like the first two days and they have no interest in him, like no interest at all. The coaches don't want him. He can't hit for shit, like whatever. You know what I mean? Like they're just not interested in like this walk-on guy. They don't think he's that good. And they pay him any attention, right? So, like, the last day of tryouts, he comes back. Luke Brock comes back. And he's so determined to make the team. They put him in the outfield. And he dead-ass sprinted after every fly ball until he literally passed out. Okay, I looked it up. Luke Brock went to college in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So, when you're playing baseball in the summer in Louisiana, it's probably 100 degrees and so humid like, your ass cheeks just stick together and start a fire. Like, it's ridiculous, dude. Like, no way. And that's what happened. He he literally, he passed out. 
passed out. He sprinted after every fly ball and after they revived him, right? They don't know like, is this kid going to die on our field? But all the coaches were like, holy shit, I've never seen anything like this. He willfully passed out because he wanted to play baseball so bad. So they signed him. And of course, he had a shitty freshman year, but then sophomore season took off, right? It's always he just needs like a year to figure things out because he's never really played ball consistently. He's only played ball to make a better life for himself. And I feel like that's what so many old school baseball players did is they played baseball so like they didn't have to work in the coal mines. And all these guys are just gritty dudes who, you know, can't pass a math class, but like they can play baseball. And it's like, that's what Luke Brock was. So his sophomore year, the scouts were like, we want you now. But he's like, no, I want to go back for my junior year because I'm learning a lot and like I like college, but after his junior year, the Cubs went ahead and signed him because they offered him a significant amount of money. And it was that first spring training in 61 where he went to the Cubs that he hit this 480-foot monster home run. And it was just like, dude, this guy has so much power, dude. And guys that played with Lou Brock said he was just an all-out motherfucker. Like everything he did was balls to the wall. He didn't have like cruise control. It was just Pedal to the metal. Even one guy said that he played so hard, he broke a sweat when he put on his uniform. Like, he was just intense. An intense dude, right? But what was funny is, like, when he got to professional baseball, like, his defense was shitty. Like, he couldn't catch ground balls because he just hadn't played baseball consistently. And that's one of the reasons why the Cubs traded Lou Brock because they were like, I mean, this guy's just so raw. Like, yeah, he's a great athlete, but he can't catch ground balls. So it's like, whatever. And him going to the Cardinals sort of as bad as I hate to say this, the St. Louis Cardinals have always had a good system. The Cardinals way guys go to St. Louis and they do damage, right? And so listen to this one time. So it was um, the ball he hit at the polo grounds that I just talked about that he hit to dead center where only him, Hank Aaron, Joe Adcock, and Babe Ruth have done this before. When he hit the ball, he didn't know where the ball went. And so he's sprinting, dead-ass sprinting, sprints to first, sprints to second. The umpire does the home run sign like he's hit a home run. Luke Brock doesn't know what the fuck that means. He keeps sprinting. He doesn't know where the ball is, and he's just running. People are trying to tell him he's got a home run, but he's like Forrest Gump, dude. He's just running, and then when he gets to home, they're like, bro, like you hit the ball out of the park, and he's like, oh, okay, cool. That's what's up, and uh, his numbers, dude, they're really good. I'm, I'm going to bring up his baseball reference page. I looked at it the other day. He, um, I mean, lifetime 293 hitter he got 3,000 hits worth 45.4 war he won two world series i think one was in 64 and then the other one was in 69 let me make sure i'm right yep he was for the chicago cubs in 64 was only batting 251 he comes to st louis in 64 bats 348 with a 387 on base and finds time to steal 33 bases but he was caught 15 times but the next season he stole 63 bases then that's when he started to get to the heavy number, 74 stolen bases. He led the league in stolen bases starting in 66 for four straight seasons. But in 67, he got caught more times than anyone as well, which I love, right? Anything about old school baseball, like in 1967, 
Lou Brock led the league in stolen bases and caught stealing, right? And that, to me, is like the Rob Deere effect, right? Rob Deere would hit home runs, but he would lead the league in strikeouts. And I love that, dude. Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last. That's what I like about old school baseball because they didn't care how many times they failed. They were just like, let's fucking go, man. And that's how he was, just balls out. But it's so, dude, you got to look at a guy like, see, in 71, Lou Brock stole 64 bases and got caught 19 times. But listen, the year he stole 118, when he was 35 years old, he stole 118 and only got caught 33 times and still batted 306 with a 110 OPS+. plus. He was an above-average hitter. Hell, when he was 40, he had 100 OPS. He was a league average hitter. He batted 304 with 21 steals when he was 40 years old. I don't know why he retired when he was 40. Probably just because he couldn't steal bases. But he was a damn productive guy at the age of 40. Dude, this is just a gritty, a good dude. He In 67, he led the league in plate appearances and at-bats and runs. You've got a run producer here. His lifetime on-base percentage was 343. This was a good baseball dude. This was a guy that changed the game. He, I mean, he he brought excitement, you know, to the league, right? In 1964, I'm, I think the Yankees were probably favored because when the Cardinals beat the Yankees in 64, that was sort of the end of the Yankees' third dynasty. So after 64, I don't know if they went to the World Series until the 70s, but including 64 and before, they were going to the World Series like every year. They'd win some, they'd lose some, but like they were loaded, right? And still in 64, I think the Yankees still had like Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris and they were fucking, they were hitting, right? They were good guys. But St. Louis, dude, comes in and plays the Yankees in the 64 World Series and they're so fast and they're so aggressive. That's how they won the damn World Series because they were doing things that other teams couldn't keep up with. And it was a guy like Lou Brock that led that charge because he was so damn fast, right? Old teams back in the day, they were just drafting speed because their thought was, well, hell, the the, the goal of the game is to score runs. We just got to get a bunch of fast guys. And I love that style of play. And I know I say this probably every other episode, but I firmly believe that that style of play will come back. And this thing's going to come full circle, right? You got guys for the Yankees, muscle-bound dudes like Judge and Stanton, that can put up huge offensive numbers, but they can't stay healthy, right? You ever seen Gaylord Perry's body? He looks like Al Bundy, right? He didn't keep to no diet or physical exercise regimen. And he pitched till he was 45 years old. Real weird thing goes on about these guys doing Pilates and having six-pack of abs, and they strain a calf, and they're out for eight to 28 weeks. Like, what the fuck, right? But it's like power is great, but I feel like good pitching is hard to beat, but speed on a base path, I just love it. Like, I don't know. I know I'm a sucker for old-school baseball, but I love the speed aspect of it. What happened when the Red Sox broke their curse? What got them to, you know, force a game five, a game six, and a game seven and win a game four and not get swept? It was Dave Roberts on the base path. It was freaking speed, man. And that was it. I love Lou Brock. Rest in peace, Lou Brock. A phenomenal, phenomenal influence on the game. Great, great baseball player and just an absolute legend. All right, let's get into some current baseball news. There is a push within Major League Baseball to retire Roberto Clemente's number 21 across Major League Baseball and retire it just like Jackie Robinson's number 42. I am 110% on board with this. Roberto Clemente was a gritty son of a bitch 
he meant a lot to the game of baseball. And simply put, he was a sweetheart. This is a guy who, I mean, one time he joined the Marine Corps Reserve in 58 in the offseason and served a six-month active duty commitment and got jacked, gained 10 pounds, and trained like a fucking Marine in the offseason. It's like, who does that, man? He one time robbed Willie Mays of a home run and crashed so hard into the right field wall that he had to get five stitches in his chin, and the people that saw the catch said it was one of the most frightening things they had ever seen. Gritty, gritty, gritty. Also, with him being just a great human being, this is a guy that when he came to the Pittsburgh Pirates, that was only seven years after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. Roberto Clemente was only the ninth black dude to play Major League Baseball. He was coming in early on. And not only was he black because he was African-American descent, but he was also Caribbean, right? He was from Puerto Rico. And like the things were really weird because there was a language barrier and he was a different color. So things were really hard for him. And I think there was a lot of harsh criticism. You know, the media wasn't really good to him. Fans, of course, like it's hard to deal with, you know, when you're only the ninth black dude in Major League Baseball. And I think only like the fifth in the National League. And one of the things that I like so much about Roberto Clemente is things weren't easy for him. But he never hesitated to give back. One of the things he said was, I don't see color, right? He didn't. He didn't let those things get him down, the hardships that he faced. And I think it's such a beautiful thing that a guy that didn't have an easy route, right? He grew up one of seven children. Like I said, 10 minutes ago, right? Like gritty old baseball players are always like one of seven children, right? And they didn't grow up with a lot of money. His old man worked in the sugarcane fields and Roberto at a young age had to work with him, man. This is a guy in life that things just didn't happen for him that were all that good, right? He didn't have a head start on certain things. He worked his ass off and didn't complain, and that's what I love, right? I don't like people that complain, and Roberto Clemente wasn't a complainer, right? Things were hard for him, and he didn't care. He worked hard in 1954. He got rear-ended by a drunk driver in Puerto Rico and really hurt his back. What did he do? I just joined the Marines two years later and kicked ass. Like, this is the dude, right? But it's just, he continued to give back every single offseason. And you got a guy that is the best right fielder that ever played baseball. Um, There was a point in the 60s where a lot of sports writers voted who was the best baseball player in the league. And Roberto Clemente was voted the best baseball player in the league. That was just after Carl Yastrzemski won the Triple Crown, which actually might have been in 71. I'm not sure. And, like, Hank Aaron was still in the league. Like, he was in that vote. Like, really good dudes. And a lot of times people would say that Roberto was the best in the league. And then sometimes they would say, outside of Willie Mays, he's the best, right? He was a comparable dude to Willie Mays, right? And this is just a stud athlete. And when you're that famous to continue to dedicate your off seasons to go to Puerto Rico, play baseball and give back is unbelievable, right? I don't know. Like I would like to think I'm a good person, but if I got sort of rich and sort of famous and was a really good baseball player, I don't, it'd be hard, right? The more famous you get and the better you get at your craft to continue to take that time to give back. And he did. And that's how he died in the plane crash in 72. I think the plane was actually, 
I, I think it was over. I think it had too many supplies on it. I can look it up here in a second. But it's just like he died giving back. Right? That's huge. He didn't have to be on that plane. He was 37 or 38 years old, had just come off a 1972 season where he was injured a little bit, but he still batted 312. I think he was still an all-star and was well above a league average hitter. Hell, when you're 37 or 38, take some time off, right? He didn't have to be on that plane, but guess what? He absolutely was. Oh, here's the information on it. So what had happened is he was in Nicaragua once, right? And then he left Nicaragua. And three weeks later, the capital city of Nicaragua had like this massive earthquake two days before Christmas. And Roberto's like, yo, I'm going to help, man. Here's some money. I'm going to organize some emergency relief flights. Like we got to get these folks and stuff out there. But apparently the first three flights of aid packages that Roberto had helped organize, they had been diverted by corrupt officials in the government, and so the victims never got this stuff. So what did Roberto do? He's like, he didn't care if it was Christmas. He's like, well, I'm gonna put my ass on that plane and make sure my people, make sure people get these things right. And that's that's, well, that's what he did. And again, like he's from Puerto Rico, Nicaragua's not his home, but it's. Like, everyone was his people, and he did it, right? Like, if an earthquake had probably happened in California, like, he probably would have helped people, right? Like, this is just huge. So he gets on the fourth flight, and this is New Year's Eve, and the plane itself had already had a history of mechanical problems and an insufficient number of flight personnel. Oh, I guess a flight of... They didn't have a co-pilot or a flight engineer on the plane, but the plane was overloaded. So immediately after takeoff, it crashed in, crashed in the ocean, because the engine failed, right? And that's what he did. Like, he was a take-charge guy who always saw a problem and did what had to be done, right? He played that way, you know, from the time of joining the Marine Corps for six months and, you know, running into the wall and having to get five stitches in his chin because, as the people that saw it said, it was a frightening collision with the right field wall to when he was a kid and worked in the sugarcane fields, and then when you have one of the fam most famous baseball players in the world hopping on a plane on New Year's Eve to go to Nicaragua to make sure these supplies get there, and he put his life on the line, and he died. And he didn't have to, but he did. And I guarantee if we could talk to him now, he would do it again, right? And I think he's just as influential as a guy like Jackie Robinson for the things that he did. Obviously, Jackie paved that way, and he was the first one to do so. But Roberto Clemente helped carry on that tradition and took it even a step further to— you know, give back. I'm not saying that Roberto was better than Jackie in any sense or whatever, but I guess what I'm saying is he's just as important because he helped carry on uh, that tradition with, um, you know, African-Americans in sports doing good, right? And that's what I like about him. So I think his number should absolutely be retired. And I love the guy, man, for his, his charity work, the way he played the game and his grittiness, hands down, man. Legendary, legendary baseball player, 100%. All right, next on the agenda is the American League Central, right? So coming into the season, I doubt anyone probably would have said, yo, I cannot wait for the race in the American League Central. I would have been like, dude, it's the Twinkies, the White Sox, which I worried that the White Sox would actually never come around because I, I just didn't know if it would happen or not. I just didn't believe it, right? And then the Cleveland Indians, who seemingly every season trade away really good players, whether it's Bauer or Clevenger or Kluber, like 
How they're 26 and 17 right now, the Indians, I have no freaking clue. But right now, you basically have a virtual three-way tie in the American League Central. The White Sox are leading the division. The Indians are a game back, and the Twins are a game back. Like, And they're all good. <coughs> Sorry, I had to cough. Um, it's Count Chocula, man. Acid reflux. I don't eat good. Sue me. Whatever. <laughs> doctor told me that I needed to change my eating habits. What I do? I got a new doctor. Next. Let's... <laughs> the... Uh, Dude, this is basically a three-way tie right now. I don't, there's only 60 games this season. I don't know what's going to happen if there, there's a three-way tie in the American League Central. But what's weird is I don't know if all the teams are going to be able to actually play 60 games. So what's going to happen in this division if one or two of the teams have played 59 games and them playing that extra game could like put them in a tie or help them you know, get ahead in the division. Like, it's going to be dramatic. Like, it's going to be Jerry Springer in the American League Central because all three of these teams got to get their 60 games put in at this point. Lucas Giolito just pitched a no-hitter like two weeks ago. It was phenomenal. I watched the tail end of it. The dude dominates, man. Really good pitcher. The Indians traded away Mike Clevenger. So wild. But it doesn't matter at all that the Indians traded Mike Clevenger because they're turning out pitching like they're the 1990s Atlanta Braves. Shane Bieber is 7-0. He's got an ERA that's a 1.25. He's a starting pitcher, and he's striking out 14.7 guys per nine innings. That's like a Roldis Chapman, Josh Hader type numbers. Like a bullpen guy supposed to put up numbers like that. Not a starter, and he's done it over 57 innings. 57 and two-thirds innings, and he's got 94 strikeouts. Like, what the heck? And then Zach Plesak, who's Dan Plesak's nephew, he got in trouble because during quarantine, he went out and partied in Chicago with Mike Clevenger. So they sent Zach Plesak to the alternative training site, and they traded Mike Clevenger. <laughs> what the fuck? But they don't need Clevenger, right? They got assets in return. And Zach Plesex, he's got a 132 ERA over 32 innings. He's striking out nine guys per nine innings. And then, like, Carlos Carrasco, obviously, like, he's a starter you can rely on. 342 ERA. He just turned out an average good season. But check this out, man. The Indians the other day, I haven't watched the start, but they got a cat named Tristan McKenzie who's 22 years old. He's 2-0. He started four games. He's got a 257 ERA, and he's striking out 11 one-point guys per nine. He was a first-rounder in 2015. They got him straight out of high school, out of Florida, right? So he's he's uh, 23 years old right now, just turned 23. He's from Brooklyn. The guy is 6'5", 165 pounds. If you want to feel like you're watching Pedro Martinez again, watch Tristan McKenzie pitch, dude. He's got, like, the classic like hair out of the side of the hat. He's a thin, skinny dude. And his nickname is Dr. Sticks, which is pretty rad. And I guess that's because he's skinny or whatever. And he, I don't know how hard he throws. I can get his numbers actually to see how hard he throws. Hold on. Not bad. Tristan McKenzie throws a four-seamer, 94 miles an hour. He's got a changeup running around 88, a slider 87, and a curve 81. But those are good numbers for a skinny dude, man. I mean... Dude, we're so used to, like, everyone throwing 98-99. Dude, if you can throw a 94-mile-an-hour fastball and you got good secondary pitches, you're pretty damn good. And judging by his numbers, 
He's got good secondary pitches, man. It's good to see a dude succeed, man. Someone who physically doesn't look, you know, like some sort of beefcake or whatever. Just a skinny dude that throws heat, man. Struck out a ton of guys. I want to say his first major league start. I'm going to bring up his pitching log real quick. I haven't watched either one of his games, but I need to because I heard crazy stuff about his first start. Yeah. Dude, the first game he started was against the Tigers. Like, they're obviously bums. But whatever, they're a Major League Baseball team. On 80 pitches in six innings, he struck out 10 guys, two hits. And he gave up a run because someone hit a home run. Then he pitched against the Cardinals, four innings, two earned. He didn't pitch long because Cleveland smoked the Cardinals, praise be. Then a couple starts against the Royals, six innings, no runs, five innings, three runs. Pretty damn good, man. He's be a good guy. That's sort of what happens with the Indians is like right when they trade away guys that you think they need and they're selling off. Like, they traded away Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, and Mike Clevenger, and they have, like, at least three really good starters. Minnesota, man. I always thought, man, I never took Minnesota seriously because I sort of thought they were Chumbawamba, like one-hit wonders. But they're bashing baseballs at a plus-40 run differential. Like, the Twins right now, bro, are raking. Oh, we had Kenta Maeda almost do a no-hitter. He took a no-hitter into the ninth, I think like a few weeks ago, and he's pitching to a 277 ERA. They got Randy Dobnak. Oh, bro, Rand, did I talk about Randy Dobnak? On the last podcast, a dude with the handlebar mustache, he looks like a mix between a WWF wrestler from the Attitude Era and Horace Grant because he wears Rex Specs. It's phenomenal, man. Guy was driving Ubers. He's got a 361 ERA right now. Oh, that's right. I did talk about Randy. Good ground ball pitcher, man. And he can get some swings and misses. Well, last we spoke of him, his ERA's jumped up a couple runs. We didn't expect it to hold there. He's a productive pitcher nonetheless. They got Rich Hill, who's thrown 21 innings. Like, whatever, man. The pitching's weird over there, I guess. Uh, Hitting-wise, dude, I mean, you're talking like, let me tell you something right now, man. This is crazy. And I don't think he's on steroids, but I don't know. But Nelson Cruz is 40 years old. 40. What the heck? 40 years old, Nelson Cruz. He's batting 342. He's leading the league in on-base percentage with a 432 on-base percentage. He's got 15 home runs. He leads all of baseball with 15 home runs. Like, this is nuts, dude. I'm, I'm glad for it, man. 416 home runs. Man, this is a guy that's really come on. And he, I mean, how, how late is this guy going to play? Like, I love now in this day and age, when you get guys that can play well into their 40s, like just like a week ago, Adam Wainwright threw a complete game on 127 pitches, and he's like 37 or 38 years old. I absolutely love it, man. It it makes me want to watch these guys because they're defying all odds, dude. It's, uh, who was, who's the, uh, Who was the third baseman for the Rangers that just retired? What's that guy's name? Adrian Beltre. He played till he was like 40 or 41. Got 3,000 hits. Dude, he's going to be a Hall of Famer, man. I love it. And Nelson Cruz, man, watch him when you can because he's 40 years old and he's got an 11-17 OPS. What the heck? Huge, man. So the AL Central, super excited for it. The Padres are still doing crazy things. The Tampa Bay Rays are leading the AL East. The Yankees are a third in the AL East. Like, what in the world? I don't think anyone saw that. But the Blue Jays, dude, I've been watching a little bit of Blue Jays baseball. Good stuff, man. They got all the young Thundercats. Obviously, they have, they got Gritchick from the Cardinals. They got a Dante Pajet's kid. They got um, Craig Biggio's kid. 
They got Vlad Jr., right? It's Bo Bichette. It's Kevin Biggio. And then they've got Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who's the brother of the dude that plays for the Houston Astros, Yuli Gurriel. And Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and Yuli Gurriel's dad, Lourdes Gurriel, was like a phenomenal Cuban baseball player, right? One of the best ever. And he's playing good. And then, you know, they've got some pitchers. They got a big pitcher that started recently that I watched. Hold on. I never remember names, kids. You know, what are you going to do with them? But I saw they had a top prospect starter pitch the other day. What was that guy's name? Nate Pearson. Big Nate Pearson, the dude is 6'6", 250 pounds. He was a first-rounder from 2017. He's not really pitching that good. I think he had one good start, but now has like a 661 ERA. And got us on 666. And then also, the Blue Jays for like the last three years, right, had a guy named Tescar Hernandez who would bat like 200, hit some home runs when he would connect because he's got an exit velocity that's just outrageously fast, right? So he'd be like a 200, 230 hitter, hit some home runs when he connected. But this year at the age of 27, he's batting over 300. He's getting on base more. He's connecting when he's got 14 home runs right now, which is one shy of Nelson Cruz, who's the major league leader, I guess, in home runs at 15. So, I mean, that's a good thing too. And... The Blue Jays could do some damage. Um, maybe this season, like, I don't know. You know, as I get, it's only a 60-game season. And I always said, whoever wins the World Series, I want it to be a surprise. So, in my head, I'm sort of like, can I get, like, a Blue Jays-Padres World Series? And I don't know if the Padres so much would be as big of a surprise to a lot of people. Because we all know they got Tatis Jr. And they got all these good pitchers. And they just traded for Clevenger. But, like... Did we really think San Diego could do damage in a division where you have to go through the Dodgers? Like, the Padres would go into the postseason as a wild card team, which means they would probably have to play the Dodgers, right? So you wouldn't expect the Padres to beat the Dodgers. But, like, if I want to see a World Series, I'm like, damn, give me the Padres because they got some young Thundercats on that team. Like, outside of the name brand, guys, they got a dude named Trent Grisham who can hit. Then you got Tatis and Manny. A lot of good hitters on that team. They got Will Myers, who still doesn't wear batting gloves. Like, praise be. I wonder if Will Myers pees on his hands like Moise Alou did. Moise Alou didn't wear batting gloves because he would urinate on his hands and said it toughened them up. I don't know if he does or doesn't. I, I do sometimes when I'm not paying attention. Um... <laughs> It's wild. Can I get a Padres Blue Jays World Series? It would be fun. The Braves, they're leading their division, and they've also scored like 25 runs tonight. I can't wait to watch the highlight reel from that. They scored 11 runs in an inning. Yeah, right now, as I record this, the Braves are beating. Oh, shit. The Braves are beating the Marlins 25. Oh, my God. The Braves are beating the Marlins 29 to 9 right now. You'll just call the game. Like, I'm – just call the game. That, that's sad, man. Why do I keep playing? It's nuts. Like, how the hell do you give up this many runs? They scored, they've scored runs in every inning but the first inning the Braves did. Oddly enough, at halfway through the second inning, the Marlins were leading 2 to nothing, And then they blew their two-run lead. And now they're losing 29-9. to God, I cannot wait to see that box score. Yikes. All right, Fernando Tatis Jr., he is... Okay, listen, the Padres uniforms are the best uniforms in all of baseball. 
they're not like the true mustard and mud of like the 70s and early 80s, right? Not Gaylord Perry, a little bit of Tony Gwynn or Dave Winfield, but I'll take them and they're phenomenal. And Fernando Tatis Jr., he's wearing the mustard and mud and I love the guy, man. So I haven't recorded a podcast in so long. I don't think I ever talked about Fernando Tatis Jr. hitting a grand slam on a 3-0 count and the next night, I think it was the next night, stealing third while the Padres were leading six to nothing. Okay, so he 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 got some shit for it. So apparently it's a 3-0 count, bases are loaded, and I think the Padres were up like seven to two or something like that. So they had a good lead, but it wasn't a guaranteed lead. So 3-0, apparently his third base coach gave him the take sign. It's 3-0, take, bases are loaded, maybe the walk you, you can get in a run, right? Have you ever seen Fernando Tatis Jr. hit? Why in God's name would you ever give this man the take sign with a 3-0 count and the bases loaded? He's the dude that you let swing if he gets something good. And what he didn't even look down at third base, right? He probably knew in his head, like, they're gonna give me the take sign. Like, fuck him. I'm about to swing anyway. He gets a pitch down the heart of the plate. Sends it over the wall and it makes it a good. Here, let me give you the. Hold on, I might actually have the exact score. Oh, so here was the situation. So it was the top of the eighth inning. The Padres had a ten to three lead. That's a seven run lead, right? It's a good lead. Okay, it's not a lead that's impossible to blow. Tell that to the two thousand three Chicago Cubs when they played the Florida Marlins and gave up eight runs in one inning. Right? It can be done. And so I think there you got some folks that obviously were pissed because Tati should have been taking this pitch. It's out of respect for the players that you're playing against, you want to take that pitch, right? Because you don't really want to rub it in, right? We're taught sportsmanship from a young age all the way down to Little League. I remember being in fifth grade. And striking out so many hitters, I was like taunting them on the mound. And after the game, my old man was like, you can't do that shit. I saw like, I was a big NBA fan, more so than I was baseball at the time. And I remember like Penny Hardaway was like shot a three-pointer one time. And after he made the three, he like hopped up and down. So I saw that and I was like, that's cool as shit. So when I was striking all these dudes out, I would hop up and down on the mound after I threw the pitch. And then when they struck out, like I would throw the pitch and like hop. And my dad was like, dude, you can't do that, right? You can't do that and tuck your shirt in. I never wanted to tuck my shirt in. My old man would be like, tuck your shirt tail in, right? So my man's a little old school, right? And there are people that are like that now. Fernando Tati swung at this pitch, 10-3, bases loaded, 3-0 count. Now it's 14-3, right? You've got two touchdowns. I think that he should have swung at that pitch. I think if he doesn't swing at that pitch, it hurts the competitive nature of sports. It disarms. It ruins. It, like... It destroys competition, right? Competition is about playing hard 100% of the time. You can't, in one sentence, and I'll use Manny Machado as an example, not because he's a padre, but at the time when he was, you know, with the Orioles and with the Dodgers, you would give a guy like Manny Machado shit and say, hey, Manny, 
you got to hustle the first. Why don't you run the first? You got to hustle. You make $330 million. Why aren't you hustling? So in one sentence, we can't tell Manny to hustle on what's probably going to be a meaningless pop-up fly, which I believe he should hustle, but there are people that are pissed at him for not hustling. And a lot of those same people are pissed at Fernando Tatis Jr. for not taking the pitch. So you can't get mad at Manny for not hustling because you want to look at Manny and say, competition, hustle, hustle, hustle. And then in the same breath, tell Fernando Tatis Jr. that he should not have swung at that 3-0 pitch because we want competition, composition, preserve the competition and play hard all the time. That's what it means when we tell people to hustle stuff out, right? Brian Snicker, the Braves manager last year, benched Ronald Acuna because he didn't hustle out a hit because he thought he was going to get a home run and it got dropped and he only got a single out of the play, right? So we preach hustle, hustle, go hard all the time. But Fernando Tatis Jr. gets shit for swinging on a 3-0 pitch when he's going hard all the time. And then he apologized for it because he felt pressured to apologize for it for his coaching staff. I would, if I was the Padres GM, I would fire the Padres head coach immediately because after the game, he said he didn't like that Fernando Tatis swung at that pitch. This is your star player. You die for this motherfucker if you have to. And he essentially, from what I how how I take it is he threw him under the bus because he did not stick up for his player post game. You cannot teach the aggressiveness out of these players. Absolutely not, especially when they're in their early 20s and they could be influenced. You cannot shame this kid. You cannot teach the aggressiveness out of him. You have got to keep the positivity and the hard work there. You want players to hustle all the time, but you don't want them to swing at a really good 3-0 pitch. You've got to preserve the competition, right? It's like in the last dance when Michael Jordan was with the Bulls and the Bulls were the last seed, right? And the Celtics were the first seed. And they sort of hinted to Michael Jordan like, hey, man, like we need to shit the bed on these last games so we can get a lottery pick. And Michael Jordan was like, fuck, no, we're not doing that. This is competition, man. We are not lying down for anybody. And he played his ass off and he made the postseason as an eight seed. And if the Bulls didn't make the postseason, they would have got a much higher pick. But Jordan said, fuck it, that's not how I play. I go hard all the time, every day, and this is competition. It's all left on the floor, right? That's how it is. That's how you want your players to play. Man, you cannot tell them this. And then the next night, he steals third base with a 6-0 lead. Dude, I absolutely love it. One, you've got to bring the steal back into stealing third base and getting away with it and rubbing it in their face is the ultimate thing. And I think it was, let me make sure it was the same team because it was the against the Rangers that Tatis hit the Grand Slam. And I believe, hold on, hold on. And okay, so it was the next night they were still playing the Rangers. So the next night when he hits his 3-0 Grand Slam, he steals third base. And I love it, man. I think steals should come back. I love the aggressiveness on the base path because one, I think aggressiveness scores runs and two, I believe it shakes the pitcher even more. In this game where you're looking for any advantage you can get, if you can get more aggressive on the base path, you can shake the pitcher, change his game, distract him a little bit. Before you know it, he's tipping his pitches or 
He lets a breaking ball hang, and bam, something good happened for your team. Stealing third, though, I absolutely love. That's the ultimate fuck you, because when you're on second, you're already in scoring position. Stealing third base is just a pure taunt. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, get that, son. Tatis Jr. is the man, bro. I love him. All right, I'm going to end the show here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We are at the 55-minute mark. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I, um, If you follow me on social media, thank you, thank you, thank you for liking my stuff. If you don't, we are on Twitter. You Twitter is greatest on dirt. Facebook is greatest show on dirt. And Instagram is greatest show on dirt. I post... I'll post a pretty good amount of old school baseball stuff on there, some new school baseball stuff. I I don't have a life outside of my wife and my daughter, so I find myself on YouTube watching a ton of old school baseball, and I absolutely love it. So Twitter, Greatest on Dirt, Instagram, Greatest Show on Dirt, and Facebook, Greatest Show on Dirt. Just search me. And otherwise, I um, I guess I, I guess I'll just stop talking. I'll, I'll try to record more. I can't, I just can't stay away from my daughter. She's so cute. If you have kids out there, like, isn't it the best thing in the world? Like, I absolutely love this kid. Like, she makes me, she actually makes me want to record more podcasts and just do better. Like, she's just, she's just a ball of love, and I love it, man. But I will try to record more, and otherwise, I'll stop here. Thank you for listening. Have a phenomenal rest of the week. Today is Wednesday, so by the time you get this, it'll probably be Thursday. And if I don't talk to you before then, enjoy your weekend. Falls around the corner. The weather's starting to get cold. Get outdoors. Have some fun. Enjoy time with your friends and family. I think the quarantine stuff, hopefully this stuff's about over. I've been getting out basically like normal. Some reservations because of my daughter. But she's seven months old and can now handle a fever if she got a fever. So, (laughs) yeah, that's pretty much it. So, enjoy your time, guys. And until next time, we'll see you then. Thanks. Bye. Bye.